I want you to open your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 15. Again, title of our message is Vanity Number Two. Vanity Number Two. A subtitle would be The Church, dash, spiritual, or carnal. See, you are the church, are you not? Or am I the church? Maybe I'm the church. But I suspect the church is a group, a gathering. People have asked me many times in my life, where is the church going? I think you'll have to ask them all. You'll have to ask all of them. I know where we're supposed to go. I know what we should teach the way we should go. But what decisions people are making may depend on how spiritual they are or how carnal they are. But everybody makes choices, and you know that. Now, last week, we talked about vanity, and we used Matthew chapter 15. I want to begin there again, and I'll just start at verse 3. He said, why do you transgress the commandment of God by your traditions, Jesus said. Then he shows them through a few verses. We're going down to verse 6. He shows them how they have taken something that God wanted them to practice or to do regarding their parents, and they have nullified that and set it aside by saying, well, the wherewithal or the money that we could help our parents with, we've dedicated it to God. We've made it korban, and therefore we can't help our parents. Verse 7, he said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, these people draw nigh to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but they are carnal. Their hearts are far from me, for in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And while these people outwardly appear very religious, very dedicated, and very loving, and very sincere people in the practice of their religion, and how they seem to be approaching God. And we can't see their hearts, but all we can see is what they do. And they seem to have it all together. I mean, they're really sincere looking. They raise their hands if you're in that type of church. They shut their eyes, and they seem to be very much involved. And I wouldn't want to make a judgment call against that. Now, God said, these people honor me with their lips. But they have established a different way of serving me than the way I wanted them to do it. Instead of worshiping me and, and walking with their lives, whether we're talking individually this morning, you as a person, you and God, or us and God corporately as a church, he said, these people have gone about, instead of doing things my way, walking my way, ordering their steps by my word, they have set that aside for something that has replaced it. And these things that have replaced it are the words of man, the traditions of man. A different way that some heady person reasoned within himself would be a better way for us to do it. You know, I know the Bible says this and that, but then here comes man's wisdom. But it would appear to me, it would seem to me, as far as I can see this thing, I think we would be much better off if we did it this way. And people have, throughout history, especially the church, they've always chosen man's way and man's way of doing things and man's way of seeing things and man's way of understanding things 
more than they would what God said, what God wanted to show us, and what God wanted us to understand. So that slowly but surely, the church has descended into a state of carnality, in that what they are doing is not exactly what God wants them to do, but it's close enough for man to say, well, it's good enough. And these folks, he said, you are worshiping me, you're honoring me with your lips, your songs are good. Well, you know, I mean, I don't care if some of the beat, but the, you know, the words are good. The people who wrote those words were sincere and we're singing the right words, we're honoring God. But our heart's not really in that direction. He's all I need. Well, not exactly. I don't live like he's all I need because when I need something, it ain't him I go to. If I need money and it's not God, I seek first. If it's healing my body, it's not God I turn to first. Because, you see, it seems to me that if I have any sense in this world, I would realize that though God could do a lot of things, he's promised. He might not want to, and I should. And here comes man's wisdom. And it really does gradually, slowly but sincerely, down through the decades or maybe the centuries, it pulls us away from a way that is pure and clean but exacting and narrow. A way that we've been taught is too narrow and too exacting, and we'll never have anybody in church if we preach that. You've probably heard that. Well, we'll never have a crowd of people here if we preach like that. And so man's wisdom has said it is better to have a lot of people than just have a few people. So we exchange what God says or we modify what God says or leave what God says out so that we can do it a way that is more pleasing and pleasant to people. And what you have is a room full of people that many of them are carnal. Now turn to Romans 8 for just a moment so we can get started. Romans chapter 8. A few things about carnality or the flesh. Now remember, Jesus said this, anytime you change what the word says, anytime you redo the word so it fits better into your lifestyle or your church program, anytime you rearrange the meaning of the word to suit yourself or your group, everything you do is vain. Whoa. I think we defined vain last week. You know, there's worldly vanity, you know, pride and the show of appearances or accomplishments or possessions or abilities and how people flaunt all of these things and make a show of this stuff openly. And they like to be admired and looked at and talked about it. They like interviews and press time. They love mirrors. They got one on the right side of the car called a vanity mirror. There's a lot of things like that. And that's natural. We all know about vain people. He's so vain. She's so vain. But what about spiritual vanity? Spiritual vanity is a spiritual life that is non-productive. It is a spiritually sterile life. Nothing is happening through your life. You're just existing in a religious atmosphere, but no fruit is coming forth. There's no evidence of Christ-likeness flowing through you. We just go to church 
and then we live our lives. As we lived them the week before and we come back to church, we hear what is said because we're respectable, nice people, but we go home and we do what we've done. And in essence, if there's no fruit, it is vain. It is a non-productive life. The word vain, both Old and New Testaments, mean useless, worthless, and empty. What a terrible thing it would be this morning if God said, you are useless. I can't use you because you won't do it my way. You're afraid of the consequences of my way. You are folks, he said, that have become worthless because every time I speak a word, you draw back and look for excuses or run to somebody to reinterpret what God said so it doesn't really mean what God said. That's because of this vanity, but this vanity is a product of somebody tarnishing the word of God or leaving it out so we won't be offended by it. Because the preacher knows if you offend people, they might not come back. And if people don't come back, the offerings will go down and then there won't be enough money. You'd be surprised. Well, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't be at the things that motivate ministries. It's not really the pure word in making disciples out of people, followers of Jesus. It's all about the organization. It's all about what people think, how we appear to the world and being wanted by other churches to be like us and emulate us. It's not about making disciples. It's avoiding being hated by the world. Jesus said the world's going to hate you. The very stands you take because of the life you're willing to live, an honest and sincere life, is going to make you so different the world's going to hate you because you'll have a chance to show your testimony. And when you live your testimony, people talk about you. They gnash on you with their teeth. They slander you. Why wouldn't the devil do that? That's his work. In Romans chapter 8, the word flesh is used 11 times, flesh. It has to do with that which is fleshly or carnal or sensual or of the senses or of the emotions and the feelings how you feel, and you live by your feelings, and you insult me, I'm mad at you because anger is a part of my senses or my makeup. And people become very sensual. They become intellectual. There's a lot of ways that people are fleshly, but it all comes back like a funnel to one thing. It is don't make the word say what it says. If you tell me I must follow Jesus, I'm not coming back. I will not do that. I've worked too hard in my life to get where I am to throw it all away because of verse in the scripture. And so people are allowed to be in a body of believers, do what they want, come when they want participate in whatever we do if they want to, have opinions about, well, I don't like those kind of things because nothing ever works anyway. They are good at promoting unity. They are part of the cohesiveness of a local body. I'm speaking in ugliness. But in Romans chapter 8, when he uses the word flesh, I want you to notice just some key verses here. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Now, I am specifically saying this. Whatever is of the flesh is vanity. 
And that vanity is promoted by turning away from the word, but turning to something else. Because turning away from the word of God doesn't mean you're not religious. It just means that the word of God doesn't prevail. But somebody else's word prevails. He said, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 13, if you live after the flesh, what will happen? You will die. Because no matter what you tried to do, no matter how sincerely you did this or that, perhaps. Now, God sees the heart. But when you choose something besides the word of God and you throw it into your church life and this is what you're living for and doing, it might be that when it's over, the Lord said, I never knew you. We can't fathom that. But God sees hearts. He knows why we're doing things. How many times have you heard just sitting in here in the last 20 years? He knows what you're thinking. He knows why you act the way you act and dress the way you dress and talk the way you talk and drive the way you drive and treat people the way you treat them. And he knows the reason you're doing all of this. Listen to me. I know there's parts from the Lord. Anything in our life that's not prompted by sincere service to God on the basis of his word is vanity. It is for nothing. You get nothing for it. And people are taught throughout their lives, if you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that, then God will do this or do that. That's not always true. So a vain life is a non-productive life. It is a life that is made sterile by somebody altering the word that you're hearing and the word that you're believing or receiving. A word that God does not watch over to perform, a word that he does not honor, and a word that produces no fruit. If our lives are fruitless, it's because our lives have been spent in vanity. Maybe not in flaunting anything, but just in following a myth. Can a man follow a myth? There's a verse in 2 Timothy, you don't have to turn to it, but he said, they shall turn away their ears from the truth. I've been talking about this for five minutes. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside unto fables. Now, that life from that point on is a vain, fruitless, no grace life. God no longer is involved in blessing and honoring all the money you spend, all the time you were there. It doesn't work. Somebody said, that's too narrow. That's what God says in his word. That's why he offers us a way that is pleasing to him and has told us that many will be called, but only a few will be chosen. I'm not trying to make this hard. I got to live by this. I study it, and I got to live by it because God holds us to a narrow line. Jesus didn't die for us to live a cheap life. You can't live any way you want to and say you're honoring God. But there is a way that seems right unto man, and man likes to follow it, but it's a way of death. And we would like to think that's not exactly true. 
Paul warned us in Ephesians 5 and verse 6. He said, let no man deceive you with deceptive or deceiving words. Actually, with vain words. Let no man deceive you with vain words, useless words, words that bear no fruit, words that don't come from God, words that God doesn't honor. He said, for this cause, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Because isn't it true, if we're not doing what God says, but we're doing something that we like, which is similar, don't we think that surely God will honor this? But our lives are spent in disobedience to God. Again, it's a narrow way, but it's what God says. So spiritual vanity. Spiritual vanity is something that is too common in the church. And carnality or fleshliness or... Rebellion or turning away from the word is much too common also. And they create problems. And let's look at, in 1 Corinthians 3, if you'll turn over there, let's look at something there. Because when man's way replaces God's way, and you live like that, and that's the way I live, we all did. And when Jesus comes to save us, remember he also tells us, your ways are not my ways. Why? Because your thoughts are not my thoughts. God says my ways are higher than the heavens. And I'm inviting you to give up all of your old ways, all of them, and to begin to see what I'm saying and be willing to do it. That's what he says. And that's a challenge. And you know every one of us in this room knows it's a challenge. I don't want to get off track and get onto something else, but I do believe that God could speak an audible voice in this room about a certain subject or two or three, and it would still exist. If his voice came down and we stood here and shook for five minutes, I believe that situation he spoke against, I believe, would still exist because I do believe that a lot of people enjoy carnality. They like the feeling of being in a religious atmosphere, but they also would like to think, well, I'm not exactly there, but I'm not exactly out of it either. Then there's a word for that. It's called lukewarm. Well, lukewarm's better than nothing, isn't it? Not exactly. Not exactly. Jesus said, I would that you were hot, spiritual, or carnal. At least we can deal with you. But because you're in the middle and you thus think you're not that bad, you might not be that good, but you're not as bad as some, and you start justifying your lifestyle. He said, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's not good, is it? How many of you know that the word vanity, if it's ever attached to you by God, is never a compliment? You're so vain. Well done, thou vain person. He never says anything like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, this is a church, as you all know, that had it all. He told them in chapter 1, they came behind in no gift. And oh, how we earnestly would like to see gifts operate. They saw gifts operate all the time. Did it make them spiritual? The church at Corinth, did they produce giants in the faith because all the gifts were there? They had prophets, they had apostles, they had evangelists, they had pastors and teachers. They had all the power gifts. They had all the gifts. We think there's only nine. There's way more than nine. 
But the nine did work there. I mean, they had it. And yet, and yet, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual people, but I have to speak unto you as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. How many of you know we're not off to a good start? <laughs> the people said, look, have you looked around at the size of our church? Have you noticed how well we're doing by the fact that we can build something and design something and make comfortable something like that? Or have you failed to see that? Do you not notice that we have, how many we got here? 3,000 this morning? <laughs> have you not noticed the number of people that are here? We started out with just 20 people. Now there's 3,000 of us. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that we have departments here and we are able to hire heads of those departments to take people deeper into nursery ministries and youth ministries and all kinds of ministries? Have you noticed that? Before you come along and say, I couldn't speak to you as unto spiritual people. I got to talk to you as unto carnal people. Oh, I'm sure they would be offended by that. I am sure there are certain ones who would sit back and say, well, what's this babbler going to say after this? Because if he wants to come back or get a nice offering here, he's going to have to say it differently. I am so glad to see that you have so much going here and you're so refined and you're so spiritual and you've got all everything. You've got the whole package here. Hallelujah for you people. He said that I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people. Now, I didn't write this. Somebody say he didn't write that. But what he's saying was Paul said this. He labored. He labored in this church. He poured himself out in this church. I poured myself into you. He said, and I've got things to say, but I can't, like Hebrews 5, I can't speak unto you as unto spiritual people because you're carnal. You act like children. You know, children are carnal, aren't they? There's nothing more carnal than a baby. Baby has no care how you feel about anything. They wake up in the middle of the night and say, do me, change me, mess with me. Then they get spankful when they get older. But he said, you're carnal. Now let's read what he's talking about here. I think you know, but in case you don't, he said, I have fed you with milk, basics, and not with meat, deeper things you have to think about. For hitherto, up to now, you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal. You are fleshly. You're soulish. For where is there is among you envying and strife and divisions? Are you not carnal? Now, would you say this with me? We're, we're taking our time. I want you to get, there's a point I want to make in a minute. Would you agree with me that here is a church that was bordering on vanity, at least individually, in their lives? They were carnal, weren't they? They were fighting with each other. There was strife. 
They were pulling apart, even separating themselves from each other to where there was no togetherness in the church. And here's why. Verse 4, while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We're only ministers. That's all we are. We are just ministers. We are nothing more than men who were minding their own business doing something else when God called us out of our own business to do his business and redid our mind and our thinking and put a passion in our heart for you folks who really don't maybe want to receive what he said, what I have to say, but he said, we're going to say it anyway, and I'm going to keep saying it, he said. I keep saying he said, I said, he said. I'm trying to represent Paul here and the picture of the church because the church in the first century, which we'd like to be like, I don't want this. I've been here. I've been here. Whereas there is among you division and strife and envy, you're following people. You say, well, I'm following Paul. He had the big revelation. Well, I'm following Apollos. He's got the big knowledge. Apollos can bark off him scriptures. Apollos knows theological terms better than anybody. Apollos is a theologian among theologians. Paul is just this little bitty fellow whose speech they say is contemptible and whose bodily appearance is weak. You all want to follow that little whatever, but we're going to stick with the big man. Paul said, anybody that does that is carnal. When you start promoting ministries, you start promoting men, you will not accept anybody else that doesn't say exactly what they said. You can't follow anybody that doesn't talk like Apollos. If they don't define their theological terms like Apollos did, they're off. If they don't have this definition of certain things like Apollos did, they're off. I've seen this in my lifetime. The last 30, 40 years, I've seen it, watched it, have been probably a healthy participant. We single out somebody that's got to be the big shingmo, and we're going to follow him. If they don't talk like him, and sadly about it, whenever he dies, and they usually do die. Don't most people die? <laughs> and usually whenever they die, that's as far as most of these people can ever go. They can't follow anybody else that doesn't speak like that. So all they got now are tapes. And they've become a little isolated group. It's not like they've turned away from the Word of God. As far as they know, they're sincere. That's it. But they no longer can have anything to do with anybody else because they're carnal. That's what he said. They're carnal. Who are we? He said, look at verse 6 and 7. He said, I have planted. I can't work miracles unless God works them. Now let me put between the lines here and try to make clear what I'm trying to say this morning. God didn't send me here, Paul would say. God didn't send me here to make everything happy for everybody. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to give everybody what everybody wants because I'm not sure what everybody wants. It'd be impossible for me to be a man pleaser and make everybody happy. I don't know how to do that. Paul said, I didn't pick me. If he was a little fella, he said, this was as big as I got. 
I'm not a good speaker, Paul says, or his speech they say is contemptible and he doesn't maybe do well. I can't help that. I'm not going to try to refine that so you'll go, ooh, ooh. Because that would only make the situation worse. Then you would really follow me and say, wow, our man's getting better. I'm just going to be what I am. I'm going to say what I came to say. Paul said, I was caught up into a third heaven. I saw Jesus. I spent time with him in a realm that I can't even tell you all that we talked about and all the things he said, but I was there face to face. And he called me and he sent me here not to tell you what I think he said, what I think you ought to hear in a way that you can receive it said. Paul just said, what I have to say, you can't receive it. Now, I'm not going to modify that and water it down so you can receive it. I'm going to tell you what he said. And yet I can't. What he said in Hebrews 5, he said, you become dull of hearing. I can't even say it. Now, folks, this situation I'm describing has always existed. It shouldn't. It should never exist because all we are fleshly and carnal people. Didn't he say as mere men at one time we're just carnal people, aggravated and everything? And God has to bring us, refine us, cleanse us, and he only does that as we see who he is and we yield ourselves to him. And whether anybody else wants the pure word or not, your heart says, I do. Don't water anything down. Don't change anything. Don't change the truth. Just give it the way it is, and that's what I want. Because God brought me where I am, not because of some falsehood, but because of truth. And the truth hurts, and it costs a lot, but I know where I'm going, and I like the peace I feel. So Paul said, who is Apollos and who is Paul? Apollos has learned the things he's learned. He was, as a child, given to this direction to study and to learn and to pursue things. And not only to pursue them, but just to remember these and have good recall about the things he's learned. I mean, this was his heart and passion. God made him this way. And when God releases this man and his anointing, this is what he's supposed to say. He's not supposed to be a psychiatrist and say, well, let me see. I got 10 or 11 of them here this morning that are not doing too good. I think I'm going to not say what I was about to say so they won't be offended. He didn't do that. God never called us to do that. That's not what we're called to do. And if the church seems to be dull and stale, all they do is preach the word. That is all we're called to do. The people who want change all the time are carnal people. And when you start changing things down so carnal people can get active again, well, let's paint it again. Let's do something. Let's, everything seems to be so stale and so dull. Uh, let's do something. I think that's carnal. Because if they won't receive the word of God, then they're looking for the word of man. And when you set aside what God says and you get to the place where if I keep saying this, nobody's going to come back, then you start saying something else and they come back, these people are going to be vain. They're going to do nothing acceptable to God. You think, well, that's not fair. Well, it is fair. But Paul and Apollos, this is what they did. They were men who simply did what the Lord wanted them to do. And verse 12, 
He talks about verse 11, for no other foundation can any man lay. Paul said, we're builders. Verse 9, we are builders, and what are you all? In verse 9, at the very end of verse 9, what are you folks? You're a building, aren't you? I mean, you are corporately. Now, we are individually temples of God. And I have a personal relationship with God and personal obedience and personal, personal, personal. Yes, that is true. He could be talking like that here. Or he could be saying, we together corporately, you folks, Paul speaking, you are a building that is being built. Now, I am a master builder. I can't do everything, but what I can do, I do. For example, he says in verse 11, no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's where we start. Anything that is not according to him that you build on is no good. Anything else. Because he said in verse 12, if any man build on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hands, stubble, that's what he does. But every man's work will be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And he is a refiner's fire. How many of you know that I could sincerely do something that maybe isn't exactly right, but I didn't know it was wrong? We might be sincerely believing in a way that it's not exactly right, but we didn't know that. And so we're still sincere. Our heart's right. There's a lot of people that live their lives in the pulpit without deeper light, but they were sincere. They left out a whole lot because it was left out of their life. But what they believe, they believe with their hearts. I don't think they're rejected people. I think the day will come when our ministries and individually us, we're going to stand before a holy God and we're going to find out how much was for him and how much was against him. How much was for us and how much was for him. That day will come. He said, verse 14, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, if any man's work shall be burned like doing things we didn't know was wrong, he shall suffer loss, but in the goodness of God, he himself shall be saved. Aren't you glad? Really, now we're talking here about the condition of our heart and what we're doing. It's the Christian heart that cries out, is this the will of God? Is this what God wants? I could even give you a quick example that you don't like, the mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Is this the kind of stuff I should wear at all? I don't want to hear anything about that change. I'm not going to do that. Because something's in the heart here. Not done yet. God's not through with us. We were all in some way miserable, but God's doing a work. But sometimes he has to get our attention and call us to this. And the preacher says, man, if I say that, these young folks are going to be bothered. And if I say that again, they might, I mean, they seem to be doing well. Let's don't mess them up. I tell people all the time, I fuss at young people here more than I fuss at their parents. I don't know if I do or not, but I thought I did. <laughs> and I said, Young people aren't going to grow up and be healthy, spiritual adults unless you tell them the truth. Multitudes of parenting have left out the truth, and kids have gone astray because the truth was left out. There's only one thing that makes us free, truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth 
It's what God will use to cleanse and refine and make your life the way it's supposed to be. Now, concerning the church again, verse 16, know you not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, whether that is individually or the whole church, the Spirit of God dwells here. Either way. Now, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Well, he couldn't be talking individually here because it would then read, if I defile this temple, I will be destroyed. I've said, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Well, if I destroy myself, God wouldn't have to destroy me again. So I think he's talking about the church as a whole. If any man defile the temple. Now, the word defile and the word destroy are the same Greek words. And it could read, if any man destroy the temple, him will God destroy. That is, in judgment. Now, look again at verse 3. There is among you what? Envyings, strife, and divisions. Now, does that destroy the cohesiveness or the oneness of a body? Then why are people envious, striving, and divisive? Why are they like that? Because they're carnal. And if you're carnal, you're vain. And if you're vain and carnal, there's no fruit in your life except this kind of fruit. The fruit that comes from heaven is peaceable and good. You know that in James chapter 3. He points out in verse 18 about defiling the temple and the temple of God. He said, just keep this in mind. What God is doing with his word, don't you try to undo it. If God is sending his word to bring us together, don't you change it. I don't care who leaves. I don't care who dies and who flies. Don't change it. Leave it up to God as to what his word is going to do. Don't modify to court anybody's favor. Jesus didn't. He didn't. Remember when the Pharisees came to him, said, you know, master, we know that thou art come from God. He said, you're a hypocrite. He knew their hearts. You're full of vanity, he said once. You're full of it. You're the most religious people in the nation. You know more about the Torah than anybody else in the nation. You know more about Scripture than anybody. You pray more than anybody. You're more definite in following the law, at least the parts you want to follow, than anybody. You even count your little seeds out, your cumin and your dill and your anise and, and all of those little seeds. I got tenth. Is that a tenth of them? That one there. I got. And he said, you're a bunch of vain hypocrites because you're doing it for show. And he said, every proselyte that you make, every time you go out and you entice or, excuse me, you evangelize one and you bring him into your fold and you begin to make him a little Pharisee like yourself, Jesus said, when you get done with him, he is twice as much a child of hell as you are because you're a child of hell. See, those are hard words, but they're religious. And he goes on. Let me go back to this. If there's one thing that God hates in Proverbs 6, is he that soweth what? Discord. There's a lot of ways you can do that. Anything that divides what God does, God hates it, including divorce. What God has joined together, 
Let no man put it asunder. What God does is not to be undone. If he does it, let it be. Amen. And anybody that works disharmony in a church, gossip, well, we've been through this back in dark ages. Gossip and backbiting and rumor and slander. Even if some of you kids pick up one of your friends' phones and text message or false something to somebody else because you think it's funny, you're a problem. You're a problem. You've got a problem. It's not funny. It's divisive. It creates ill will. It makes people in the world think wrong thoughts about your brother or your sister. You're wrong. You're carnal, too. Because the fruit produced in that kind of activity is bad fruit. Anything God has to judge, anything that God will not accept is bad fruit. But it's what man does. And it's bad. And listen, goes on to the end of this chapter. Verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, clever and has a better angle than God, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of modern-day puppeteers is moros, moria. We get the word moron from that. I'll leave imbecile out of that but they're probably buddies for the wisdom of this world to God. Man's ways is foolishness because it destroys you. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their craftiness. Now verse 20. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise. What are the thoughts of the wise? They're vain because they're sterile. They produce nothing that God accepts. If they have a form of godliness and they deny the power of it, what are we supposed to do? Turn away from them. Turn away from them because their whole system is vain. The whole thing, the whole thing. There may be sincere people in it. They'll be saved. I do believe that. They don't know any better. They're pure in heart, and they're doing what they've been told, and they're sincere about it. And when you teach them the truth, it's best they know how they'll get it, but they haven't had much. They've never been taught. All they've ever been taught is a church system and, and departments and Sunday school and vacation Bible school and CYF or Christian Youth Fellowship I was in and, and all the little things that we do, and that's all we did. But we had to do those programs in order to keep carnal people happy because if all you do is preach the word, people get bored. Now, you don't, do you? But when you do get to the place where same old, same old, you're in trouble because you're looking for something different. Now, let me ask you something. If God said this is the way, Walk ye in it. And we get tired of this. What will we do? We'll look for something new to do, won't we? 
and we will find something we like to do. It may not be exactly what this is, but we like it, and it seems to be producing, but it's vain. It's vanity. You know, I think I say that every week. And yet we're living in the last days in which that time, which is now in process, when many shall depart from the faith because they're going to give heed to vain, seducing spirits. And the people are going to be empty and hollow, no longer discerning about what's right or wrong, unable to know if that was the devil or if that was God, following their feelings and crowds because numbers must be right, and they get hooked and they get harmed, and a lot of them get discouraged and give up and quit, which was the devil's goal in the first place, to kill, to steal, destroy. So the only thing that keeps us safe, you that are here today, the only thing that keeps us safe is an unadulterated word of God. The pure word that we call it. And that's what we're commanded as ministry to do. Now, if somebody says, well, why don't we try this or try that? I would say to you, I'm not against anything that promotes spiritual growth, but I don't know how to do all these things. And quite frankly, I'm not going to do anything except what I do. Now, God raises up people in the church that, well, I feel led to do this. and As long as it's producing, do it. Go for it. I'm just one little cog in the whole system, right? I have to watch over everything to make sure one of these cogs doesn't break off. Make sure that the whole flock is doing well to feed them. I don't have to feed everybody. Other people here can do that too. And things are beginning to move like that, that we need to start rethinking as fathers, as men, wives, mothers, young folks. Tomorrow, the war, the world, the jobs, the economy. Some things we ought to talk about. Two are better than one. We can learn things from each other. That's why fellowship is important. But the only thing, it all comes back to this. The only, the only thing that God watches over to perform is his word. Not a version of it, but his word. And Jesus said only one thing is necessary. Luke 10, at the end of it, he said, only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good part. That's hearing the word of God. So, this church is carnal. They could not receive a deeper word, a word of meat from Paul, because they were all intent on establishing their own little system. Remember in 1 Corinthians 11 when they came together for the Lord's feast? When they came together, Paul said, I don't praise you for your gathering together, for your love feast. This is not the Lord's love feast at all. Well, I'm sure by now these people are ready to vote him out. He said, look at you, a bunch of you meeting back here. There's a church that meet in all these houses. They don't have one big building. They met in homes, and, and every now and then Paul would come to town, and all these groups and all these elders and these little groups and house churches would come together. But they didn't necessarily like each other. Some were doing well. They sat over here, and they were getting drunk, and then here's a bunch over here that were trying hard and didn't quite have enough. And there's another group back here. There was Paul's group, and this is Apollo's group, and we're of Jesus over here. And then back there is somebody else's group. Paul says, I don't praise you. I didn't pour my life out for this. 
I didn't come here and spend all this time laboring in this word so you could be like this. You're all carnal. And I'm sure they didn't like it. He said, you're carnal. You don't know how to love and lay down and let Jesus be in your midst. You don't know how to do that. It's not what Jesus has said. It's what your ministers are saying that you're following. And you're carnal. And he said, you're going to die. Did he not say in 1 Corinthians 11 also, did he not say that many are weak and sickly among you and some have died? Oh, they got healing gifts in that church. Now, I'm sure a bunch were saying, well, why did they die? I mean, why didn't they raise them from the dead? How did they die? We got so-and-so here has the gifts of healing, but they died. Gifts don't work. He said, for this cause, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you. And some die or sleep. This is why it doesn't work. This is why nothing's working for you. It's because of carnality, side choosing, rejection of other brothers and sisters as though we had a better place with God than they did. And Paul said, you know, I praise you not. I praise you not. Turn to Psalm 127. First two verses only. All young women who want to get married should read verses 3 through 5. I used to quote that at weddings. It got to working so well I quit quoting it. <laughs> I'll just quote three because we live in a nation that hates children. We live in a nation that dreads pregnancy. We live in a nation that just, oh my goodness. But listen, the Bible says children are heritage of the Lord. Amen. Blessed is a man that's got a bunch of them. In light of what we said in 1 Corinthians 3, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, building your individual house, you as a temple of God being reshaped and redone, Unless God is doing this work, nothing's going to happen. Or corporately again, the whole gang of us, the church, Shelbyville Christian Assembly, and all who say God sent them there, they're a part of it. This is what he says. Except the Lord build us and put us together, what are we doing? We're laboring how? I know this is true. If we're trying to make it work and we're trying to get and we're trying by methods and whatever to make it work and make everybody, if we're trying to make you, but we're not doing it with the word, then what we're doing, our labor, our effort, all the time spent and the hours studying, whatever, it's all for nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Nothing. It credits us nothing to our account. All these years, 1981, May, May 21st, 1981, to this very day in 2010, is for nothing if it does not produce what God wants. Say amen. amen. It's true. So we should, in a sober sense, with fear and trembling, examine our hearts to see, 
Am I in the will of God? Oh, I'm having fun. <laughs> Man, I'm having fun. I'm at the fun time. Of my Are you in the will of God? For your life was a vain life if you miss heaven. All those opportunities, and yet we just sort of set it aside. Not yet. I'm not ready for that. He said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, let me give you three verses I want you to turn to in the New Testament. Keep your finger here. We're coming back. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 2 and then Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4. 1 Peter 2 verse 5. You also, talking about this building now, you also as living stones. That's you, isn't it? Hard as a rock. Well, Chevy said there's something about a rock. You all could be rock solid in Jesus. Amen. Amen. You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house. Really, the word means are being built. Are being in the process of being built up into what kind of a house? A carnal house or a spiritual house? A spiritual house, not little houses, but a house. One house, not several little houses. One building. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That foundation, that cornerstone, acceptable means it's not in vanity, but God accepts it. We're being built up by the Lord to offer spiritual sacrifices unto God that he accepts, that produces. And he has said in verse 6 that he is the chief cornerstone. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Ephesians 2, 20. And are being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Those were the ones instrumental in the beginning of the New Testament church period, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed to, 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 what's that word? Together. Fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, not just a big place full of steeples and ornate decorations and great organs with cost $100,000 and drapes on the wall that cost umpteen bunches and a waterfall in the North X. I was in a church once that was walking by faith. They had a big meeting planned. They built a big fancy building. The money hadn't come in yet to finish it. The two pastors went out in the evening and borrowed money from the bank and finished it and said, praise God, he supplied our needs. And they finished the waterfall out in the narthex. Jesus needs a waterfall to make a disciple. <laughs> you got to have waterfalls and drapes. It is amazing what man does without regard for whether or not this will produce a disciple. Even the atmosphere. Let me go on. In Ephesians 2, verse 22, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Either we are 
but we aren't. Either the things that the building blocks, the word of God that he has sent to accomplish this are being set in place or they're being set aside. But he has sent his word. Chapter 4 and verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint, what? Supplies. What is a joint? It's where two rocks meet. A joint's not marijuana. <laughs> a joint is where two Christian rocks meet. An Apolloite, a Cephasite, and a Paulite. He said, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted that by which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, something each of us has to give, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Who increases spiritually a body, the preacher or the people? The people. I'm not trying to cop out. I'm just saying who is it that makes it work? We think without a preacher, we can't do it. Who said it has to be the preacher who does it all. The preacher has a message. The people have ears. And either that message is received, we lay down all opposition to it and do our part and become a part of unity in the church. We're going to be guilty of division and destruction. Now, I don't want to be a part of that. I've seen God judge people in my lifetime. I've seen people judge because of that very thing. Gossip. I've seen it. And so in verse 17, he said, This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, in the useless, sterile ideas of their minds, sterile because God does not honor all these newfangled ideas the church comes up with to promote itself. You know what God is promoting in this hour? Jesus Christ. He can do it in a basement. He can do it in a living room. He can do it in a garage. He can do it in a building like this. But that's what he's doing. He is the foundation of any Christian's life. And he is the cornerstone of any church. And if everything isn't based on him, from him, by him, according to him, it is vain and it bears no fruit. Verse 1, again. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes in vain. If he is appointed, elected, voted in by the church to be a watchman, well, you're in the office of watchman. It's nothing more than a name. If people aren't living right, I don't care how many centuries they have on the wall, when God brings judgment against them, the watchman can do nothing. Verse 2 talks about sleep. Remember that? A watchman who is a dumb dog is a man on the wall who cannot see what's going on is really not paying attention to what's going on. He's asleep. And when he's asleep, not paying attention, things can come in and creep in. And things can mess up the church. 
Let me tell you about a watchman whose eyes are open and he can't see. Remember when Peter was in prison, Acts chapter 12? They're going to make a, a big spectacle of Peter the next day. They were going to kill him and uh, make everybody happy, get rid of these Christians. And Peter was in jail. And he was losing all of his sleep that night because the Bible says he was in stress. Actually, the Bible says Peter was asleep. So I said, Peter, knowest thou not that tomorrow thou shalt die? Peter said, what did you say? What did you say? I'm overdoing this. But he was asleep in the jail. He was asleep. He didn't know what was going on. An angel came by and said, Peter, huh? get up. He had to say something to him. Get up. And they walked out. They walked past two centuries. And never saw him. You believe God has power over human beings' eyes? Amen. Could God cause two men not see what was in front of them? Yeah. Did you know they were put to death the next day because of it? I would talk about sleep a little bit, but I want to leave you with the church. About being carnal or about being spiritual. I'm not spiritual because I'm here. If I am spiritual at all, it's because I have obeyed those promptings of the Spirit to respond to God. I have been willing to take stock of my life as it's being shown to me. We see in a mirror, and what do we see? Well, we see what he is, obviously, but you also see what you're not. The spiritual man, the spiritual woman is a person who says, I don't want to be anything but what God wants. I don't want to open my mouth in any way to offend God. I'm a weak man, Lord, when it comes to living this life. I am really weak, and I need help. But we all are, and that's why he said, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, because it's the poor in spirit that are going to see God. I want us here to be a spiritual church. I have no programs. I'll quit before I get into that. Things that spontaneously happen, getting together, that's fine. But to do anything to try to make people more whatever, I don't need that. I got the Word of God. Amen. I got the Word of God. Now, do you have it? Do you have it? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to minister to us this morning. Open our eyes to see what we need to see and Reveal to us the things that you're saying so that we can, with wisdom, walk right and do right. Father, I speak on behalf of all of us here this morning that you, whatever you have to do, whatever you have to do to make us spiritual, to arouse us out of a complacent, dull, side-choosing mentality, that you will do that. And I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my
you to go, I want you to bow your heads. I want all of you to, and I want everybody to pray a prayer quietly. I want you to ask the Lord before we leave to make you a spiritual person, man, woman, boy, girl, to make you a spiritual person. Just ask him to do that right now. Lord, make me a spiritual person. Amen. Amen.